Okay, saints, the Gospel of John, chapter 8. Tonight we're going to be beginning in verse 30, and we're going to conclude through the rest of this chapter. Last week we ended off at verse 30, but I do want to come back to that because it just connects last week and this week in just a powerful way. But when Jesus was speaking, he ended in, in verse 30, and, and as he was saying that he just, everything that he does is to please the Father, he's going to be lifted up. He's, he's talking about his death, he's talking about his ministry. And verse 30 of the Gospel of John chapter 8 makes this declaration. As he, that is Jesus, spoke these words, many believed in him. As Jesus spoke these words, many believed in Jesus Christ. And, and I think it's important to recognize that in that same way as where in Genesis chapter 15 and Galatians 3, 6, it declares that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham believed. And that belief is that directive, that belief is that which imparts life. And we see here that as he spoke these words, many believed. They understood who he was. They opened their eyes to who he was. They opened his heart to who he was. And as they began to believe, they didn't doubt his words as the religious leaders were. And then Jesus brings them into the next step. One, they simply believed, which is what they needed. Now Jesus said to those Jews who believe, if you abide in my words, you are my disciples indeed. It's interesting that he brings them to a place of not just belief, but now belief with obedience. That there's a part of walking out this new belief that they have. It's about putting it into practice. And so it's a beautiful thing that what Jesus does here as they begin to believe what Jesus does, and keep in mind that he does something a little bit different in this verse than he's done in past verses. Remember what he's been saying over and over, the words that I speak, that they're not of my own, but they're that of the Father. He says the same thing in John chapter um, 12, verse 49. He says, For I have not spoken in my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command that I sh- what I should say and what I should speak. And so he's been talking about the things that the Father says, the things that the Father says. And now he puts himself in a place of equality with the Father in verse 31 to say, if you abide in my word. You understand he's not saying if you abide in the scripture or if you abide in what the Father has declared. Now he puts himself on equal footing with the Father in the words of the Father because his words and the Father are the same. They are one and the same. He is the, the word incarnate. And so he says, if you abide in my word, showing his authority, showing that, that he is equal with the Father. And he says, if you abide in my word, then you are my disciples. And so he brings out this beautiful truth as he talks about that authority that he has. And then He makes a statement in verse 32, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. 
When you receive Jesus Christ by faith, the Holy Spirit comes in and, and, and opens your heart and opens your life, and you recognize that there is this beautiful freedom that you have in Christ, but that freedom comes, as you know and I know, not just in our belief in Christ. The real freedom comes, the joy comes, the peace comes as we abide in his word. If you've ever recognized it as a Christian, when you're at that place of not abiding in his word, but you believe in him, but what his word declares, you're choosing to do something different. It's amazing that at that point you recognize, I don't have the freedom in my life. I don't have that peace, that joy that I should have. The real freedom to say, as I am abiding in your word, is that becomes my life and his practice. I have this absolute freedom in you, Lord, to just recognize this life that I have, the joy that I have, that I have no restrictions as I'm being led by your word, as I'm being directed by your spirit. And so I just think it's so important where he says, when, when you're abiding in the word, then you know the truth. So you can understand the truth and you can, you know, know it intellectually, but you cannot know it experientially until you abide in it. When you're walking in the truth, then you say, yeah, now I know it. So it's one of those things where you can learn something and, and, and recognize, okay, there, there are certain things where when we were in science class, we took this phosphorus and we stuck it in water. And, and the, the, the book said, you stick it in water, it's going to spin around and fizzle and pop at the end. And I go, oh, that's really nice. And then they actually gave us phosphorus, and we actually stuck it in water. We saw the, the fizzing. We saw the practice. We, we saw that little explosion at the end. Like, oh, my goodness, this is incredible. But it's what? When you experience those things to be true. You can know of it, but until you experience it. So it's one of those things that you can know that, you know, when you're, when you're falling from, you know, 1,000 feet in the air, it's, it's a rush, but it's another thing to actually have fallen a thousand feet in the air and to realize, wow, it is a rush. And so it's one of those things where you can see guys jumping out of airplanes and parachuting down, or you could be the guy that's jumping out of airplanes, you know, eventually parachuting down. And, and I see some heads that say, I don't ever want to be that guy jumping out of an airplane. I'll just take their word for it that that's a truth. And this is what Jesus says, that the truth comes when, you're, when you actually do those things. Your understanding of the freedom you have comes when you're actually abiding in that word. And as you do that, then you shall know the truth. It's not just intellectually, but experientially and the truth then of abiding in Christ just absolutely sets your life free to just glorify God. Now, when he made that statement, as he talked to those Jews that believed in him, some of those were the religious leaders, and they answered him and they said, we are Abraham's descendants we have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Now, as Jesus is speaking, he simply says, listen, you're going to know this truth as you abide in my word. The truth is going to make you free, set you free. And they said, 
we are Abraham's descendants. Now, at that point, he's, they're absolutely true. They, they are absolutely Abraham's descendants. Now, I want to show you a little difference that I want you to understand how this plays out. Because it, it makes a statement where they say, we are Abraham's descendants. Eventually, in verse 37, Jesus says basically the same thing. He said, I know that you are Abraham's descendants. But look at what he says in verse 39. This is where it really begins to challenge because in verse 39, they answered and said, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children. Understand there's a difference between descendants and children. That you can be a one from the blood, the lineage of Abraham, and that will be earthly, you are his physical descendant. But Jesus makes another connection. He said, you're a descendant, but you're not a child of Abraham. You may be physically apart from Abraham, but you're not spiritually a part of Abraham. And that's what a child is. Keep in mind that God did something absolutely amazing. In the book of Genesis, I want to just read to you just one portion of Scripture just because it's kind of key. Now, God had spoken to Abraham, you know, back in, in chapter 15, where he talked about the stars of heaven. But in, in chapter 22, verse 17, he puts a connection to, to two aspects. In Genesis 22, verse 17, Jesus, it says this, Blessing, I will bless you, God speaking to Abraham. And multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. So we see that God puts two directions to Abraham and what his children would be like. Some will be of the sands of the seashore. They will be of the earth. They will be of the physical Others will be heavenly. They'll be of the stars of the sky. And so we recognize that God says, yep, you're going to have descendants spiritually, those of heaven, and they're going to be innumerable like the stars in the heaven. You're also going to have descendants here on earth, and they will be here on earth, and they're going to be as numerous as the sands on earth that are there by the sea. And so they actually make this statement, and they say it very clearly. And so in verse 33, they said, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Now, we got one of two things that's going on here. Either they're referring to themselves, and they said, We've never been in bondage. Or they're referring to all of Israel, and they are part of Israel and saying, we've never been in bondage. Well, apparently, they don't know their history, nor do they know their present. Because the history is they were in bondage to Egypt. 
And then after they came into the promised land, they were in bondage to the Philistines, and they were in bondage to the Babylonians and the Assyrians. And, the, and then to, you know, um, we understand that even now, they're in bondage to who? To the Romans. They're saying, I want you to deliver us from the Romans. This is what they do. I want you to set us free from the Romans. There's a point where I just want to share with you in, in John chapter 18, verse 31. And it's important for you to recognize this because Pilate goes to the Jews that have come to him. And he makes a statement to these Jews that have come to him. And he declares this, Pilate said to them, John 18, 31, you take him and judge him according to your law. In other words, you take him and kill him. This is what you want to do. You judge him according to your law. And therefore, the Jews said to him at the end of verse 31, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Do you understand? They have no authority to actually execute what is known as a death penalty. That has been taken away from them. Rome has put them in bondage. You cannot put someone to death. Only we can put someone to death. If you want someone put to death, you have to come through us. You know what it's called? Bondage. They don't have authority. They don't have that ability. Now, it's interesting that they do go and say, listen, we are Abraham's descendants. We've never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Now, understand that Jesus is talking more of a spiritual freedom than a physical freedom, in a sense. You understand as well as I do that not only does sin bind us in a spiritual way, trapping our spirits and not allowing us to have that intimacy, that communion with God. We have a bondage in that way. But we've also seen in our lives where sin will put us in bondage in a physical sense. Remember what Paul said, the things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And the things that I want to do, I'm not doing. Do you understand that there's a bondage in that? And there's a lot of people that, you know, ultimately say, I want to choose to have a cigarette, or I want to choose to have a drink, or I want to choose to, you know, go in this direction or, or experience this. And eventually what happens is this. Eventually they don't get to choose that anymore. How many times have someone chosen to quit smoking and it didn't happen? How many times has someone chosen to stop drinking and it didn't happen? How many times has someone said, I don't want to go to those websites anymore, and they gravitate to it again? It's amazing that sin does put you into a bondage. And what Jesus says is when you're abiding in my word, as you're seeking my heart, as you're pursuing me, these things aren't even going to be uh, a thing that will challenge you. Why? Because you're going to be looking at beauty. When you're looking at beauty, why do you want to look at that which is disgusting? When you're looking at life, why do you want to look at death? When you're looking at the light, why would you want to look at darkness? And she says, as, as you're abiding in me, as you continue in my word, as you're doing this, you're going to be free. And as Christians, we know this. We've experienced the freedom when we walk the word of God. 
directed and empowered by the Spirit. This is the key. Now they're saying, listen, we, we don't understand what, what's going on because this is, we've never been in bondage. How can you say you will be made free? Well, Jesus answered them, verse 34, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. And so he puts out that understanding of why they are in bondage. And so it's one of those things where when you commit sin, now the sin owns you. First you think, oh, I'm going to own this sin, and then it turns you around and it now begins to own you. And it says this, and a slave, verse 35, does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Do you understand that what he's talking now is in that culture, a slave, you have a slave and a son. Well, the slave, what? He has his own house. The son, he's in your house. And the son is going to be heir. The son will always abide in that house. And the slave will never rise to the point of being the son. And so he makes this statement, a slave doesn't abide in the house. You're you're not part, when you're a slave to sin, you can't enter into the presence of the father there in the father's house, into his presence. Now, when, you, when you're abiding in the word, then all of a sudden you have that freedom to come boldly to the Lord. So he says, listen, you have to understand a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. The slave, he can go into work and he has to leave again. He's got to go back to his place, but he cannot remain in there. The son, he is to remain in that house And it's just a beautiful picture that we begin to see here. How wonderful a statement that here the Lord is making to these people who are seeking to reject him. He just wants to free them from the bondage that is in their heart and in their mind and in their life. Now, again, he comes to this point. And he makes that statement in verse 36. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Now, how does the Son make you free? Well, he he went on to say what? If you abide in my word, verse 31, you are my disciples. And then, as you are there, you shall know and experience the truth of my word and who I am, and then you will be my, and you will um, know this truth, and it will make you free. And so that's why he's saying, if the Son makes you free, if you're following me, if you're my disciples, if you're abiding in my word, who I set free, he makes a statement, you will be free indeed. When he's declaring this, what he's pointing out is this, you will no longer be a slave you will be a son. And that's what he's saying. You're no longer having that character, the nature of a slave. You've been set free. But the son has to set you free. Do you understand that a slave cannot stand up during this time and tell his master, I have been emancipated. I am no longer your slave. And the master, 
Who are you to say that? Only I can set you free. I'm the only one that can say, listen, I've given you your freedom. You can't do that. Amazingly, we see here that this is what Jesus is saying. If the Son makes you free, you're free. If you think you're going to make yourself free, that's never going to happen. It has to come through the work of Jesus Christ. And so I love that heart and what he begins to declare. Now, when he says you are free indeed, he now looks at those religious leaders and he says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants. He makes this statement, you are his descendants. But you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. As he says this, I think it's just phenomenal that he points out to them, you're physically through the lineage of Abraham. And and so you are his descendants, but you seek to kill me. Amazingly, that what he's going to say in verse 39 is this. They answered and said, Abraham is our father. Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Now, all of a sudden, we're going to see that there's a difference in the work of Abraham and a difference in what they're seeking to do. Now, I want you to understand and, and take a look at what the work of Abraham was. There's a portion in the book of Genesis chapter 18. I want to read to you just the first few verses there. I want to go down to verse 8. So Genesis 18 verses 1 through 8. And I want to just, you could just listen to it if you want, but, but pay attention to what Abraham's response is when God visits him from heaven. So pay attention. Now note this, what Abraham's response is when God visits him personally from heaven. And then we'll go back and we'll take a look at what their response is when God comes and personally visits them as God came down from heaven. Now, Jesus is God. He came down from heaven. He's given a personal visitation to these religious leaders. He said, I want you to understand what Abraham's works were. And then I want you to compare this to what your works were. When God comes down from heaven and visits Abraham, take a look at what Abraham's response is, and then let's compare it to yours. In Genesis 18, verse 1, Then the Lord appeared to him by the tebron tree by of Mamre, and he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. And so he lifted his eyes and he looked, and behold, three men standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and he bowed himself to the ground. Now, I'll tell you what, that's a greeting. When God left heaven to come to meet Abraham, Abraham was there, staying out of the heat, staying in the cool, staying in the shade. And when he saw God, he ran out. Now, keep in mind, he's been in the shade, and now he runs in the sun. Talk about a change of attitude. 
Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm sitting in the shade, the last thing I want to do is go and run in the sun. I want to stay in the cool of the shade. This is why I'm sitting in the shade. I don't want to go running out. But he sees God. He goes running to the Lord. And it's absolutely amazing that there were these three men. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them. He bowed himself to the ground. So verse 2, he runs out. He bows down to the ground and he said, My Lord, if I now have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Please let a little water be brought to wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts, that you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. And they said, What do you said? You understand, says, what can I do for you? How can I bless you? How can I worship you? What meager offerings can I make to just bless you? And amazingly, what these religious leaders were doing was this. When God came to heaven to visit them, they said, what are you going to do for us? Show us a sign. Let, let, do something for me. And here, Abraham says, what can I do for you? Well, verse 6, so Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. He says, quickly make three measures of fine meal, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd. He took a tender and good calf. He gave it to the young men. He hastened to prepare it. So Abraham took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree as they ate. Do you understand? It's only for you. What can I do to minister to you? What can I do to honor you? What can I do to glorify you? And these men, do you understand? They did not do the works of Abraham. Remember what Jesus said in verse 39? He answered and said, Abraham, where they said, Abraham is our father. Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. You would believe and that belief would be accounted to you for righteousness. Abraham believed you would do the works of Abraham. You would seek to bless me and minister to me. And so he says here, verse 37, I know you're not his children. I know you're not the spiritual children. I know you're Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. You are here wanting to kill me. Now, Keep in mind, and I do want to just share this one passage with you just so that you can just come back to a place of remembrance to why it is that Jesus is saying this. Back in John chapter 5, verse 16. We've covered this multiple times as we've gone through this gospel, but I want to share it again. It says in John 5, 16, For this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. They had been plotting to put him to death. And so Jesus is just simply saying, I know what you guys are doing. I know what's in your heart. I know what you guys have been plotting. I know you're Abraham's descendants physically. You're not his children spiritually because you seek to kill me. And the reason you seek to kill me is because my word, the very character that I'm walking out, doesn't abide in you. 
You understand that the people were seeing a difference between Jesus and his life and the Pharisees in their lives. The religious leaders were aware that there was a difference in Jesus' lives compared to their lives. Remember when Nicodemus in John chapter 3 went and said, we know you're of God. He didn't say, I know. He said, we know because no one can do the things you do unless God is with them. They knew what Christ was done. They knew his heart. They understood these things. And yet we begin to see that what they do is they reject. And so as we see here so amazingly, Jesus says, I know you're Abraham's descendants, verse 37. You seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. If my word had a place in you, you would abide in my word. You would become my disciples. You would be set free from sin and you would have life. Now Jesus goes on in verse 30. He says, I speak what I have seen with my father and you do what you've seen with your father. Now he makes a distinction and it's a bold distinction that Jesus makes. He says, I speak what I have seen with my father. He declares the father in heaven is God. And so we recognize here, this is I'm, I'm doing what I've done with my father, the very character that I have from my father. He says, and you do what you've seen from your father. And I want you to jump ahead to verse 44 for just a second and maybe use this as a reference at the bottom of verse 38. But in verse 44 of John 8, he says, you are of your father, the devil. Do you understand? He says, now in verse 38, notice I speak what I have seen with my father, the father in heaven, and you do what you have seen with your father. Now, as we recognize what's about to happen, Jesus has said, you seek to kill me. And of course, they, they, he says, you do what you've seen with your father. Your father was a murderer. He was one from the beginning. And as he was a murderer, you're just doing what your father desires to do. Eventually, I think it's important that what we're going to see is this. In fact, let me just share with you a passage right now. In Genesis chapter 3, there comes a point where we begin to see the very character of the father that he said, you see what your father does. You're doing what you see your father do. In Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, well, I'm going to back it up to verse 13 so that you can actually see what it is that, that is going to happen here. And I'm going to read down to verse 15. So Genesis chapter 3, 13 to 15. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Okay, we understand. She's now speaking of the serpent. So the Lord said to the serpent who deceived the woman, who caused her to eat, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. So he curses the serpent, and then he makes this statement, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. First mention of hatred. 
There's going to be a hatred that you have towards the woman. Now, eventually we're going to realize that God is going to use this woman to bring forth the seed. And so this woman, in a sense, speaking of Eve, will eventually come to be the woman, the nation of Israel. And through Israel will come the Messiah, will be the the birth, the seed of this woman. But there's going to be a hatred between Satan and the Messiah. And we're seeing here, he says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. There's going to be a hatred between you and the Messiah that will come to redeem mankind that has just been deceived and have just sinned. And so we recognize here what Jesus is saying now back in John 8, 37. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Verse 38, I speak what I have seen with my father. You do what you have seen with your father. You're taking on the characteristics of your father. I've taken on the characteristics of my father. You know there's something different with me. The people knew that there was something different with me. This is why we said back in verse 30, many believed in him. They recognize that what he says he does. I don't know if you've ever recognized that there are a lot of people that say a lot of things but don't do them. Oh yeah, political. Every political commercial, we're going to do this and we're going to do this and we're going to, and it's like, you're just going to do what you're going to do. You can say something, but eventually you're going to do what you are simply wanting to do. And this is here what Jesus says. I do what I say. I live out this life that I'm speaking. The people recognize that. These Pharisees, they did not live out a life of intimacy with God. People recognize there's hypocrisy with you. Jesus pointed it out again and again. Woe to you hypocrites. You say one thing, you do something else. And so he makes a statement. I have seen, I speak what I've seen with my father. I came from heaven. I'm, I'm here. I know what I'm declaring and what you do, you do what you've seen with your father. So verse 39, they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. They said, Abraham is our father. He says, well, he may be a physical forefather, but he's not your spiritual father. Because if he was your spiritual father, you would believe. And that would be accounted to you for righteousness. If he was your spiritual father, you would do the the works if you were truly his children. And that's when God comes to visit you from heaven, which is who I am and what I've done. You would come and you would bow down before me. You would come and you would worship. You would come and you would serve. This is what you would do. And it's absolutely amazing to see here that they answered verse 39 and said, Abraham's our father. Jesus said, listen, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now, again in verse 40, he said, you seek to kill me. Now notice he's not hiding from their wickedness. 
He's not hiding from what they're plotting. He's making it very open and very public. Why? So that when he does die, everyone is going to say, wow, they put him to death. Jesus said they would put him to death. They wanted to kill him. They did. And verse 40, now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. Abraham didn't try to silence me. Abraham didn't try to kill me. Abraham came and worshipped. What are you guys doing? You can't be his children. You might be descendants, but you're not his spiritual children. And then Jesus said in verse 41, you do the deeds of your father. And then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Now, all of a sudden, he makes a statement, you do the deeds of your father. And because of that, now I want you to understand that if you are not able to win an argument, and maybe you've seen this on the political scale, maybe you've seen this, when you can't win an argument, you can't win a discussion with words, then what do you do? Then you assassinate their character. You can't say, I'm going I'm to talk to you and reason with you. You got to look at their character and try to assassinate their character. And so this is what they do of Jesus. They said, we were not born of fornication. In other words, we know that the Joseph, there's a rumor, he wasn't your father. So you were born of a mother and, and Joseph was not your father. You were born of fornication. <laughs> All of a sudden, we recognize, no, he had a father. And he's displaying the very nature and the character of his father. But they said, they try to cut him down and say, when he says, you do the deeds of your fathers. Oh, we are not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Now, they're trying to put themselves in an intimate connection with God. And Jesus said, if God were your father, you would love me. (laughs) You understand? If God was really your father, you would be like Abraham coming and worshiping, coming to honor me. If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, and I have come of myself. I have, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Understand, this is beautiful passage that says, Jesus, I proceeded forth and came from God. He said, I left heaven and I came here. But understand that he makes this statement, he says, nor have I come of myself. He said, it wasn't just my decision to come. I left heaven. I came here, but it wasn't just my decision. The Father and I are knit perfectly on this decision. And that's why it says, nor have I come of myself. It's not just my decision alone. Now, keep in mind, I proceeded forth. I left heaven. I came here. But it wasn't just me that did this. He says, not just me, myself, But he sent me. God the Father was part of my coming here. Why do you not understand verse 34, my speech? Because you're not able to listen to my word. 
It's absolutely amazing to see that it wasn't that they didn't hear what he was saying. It wasn't that they didn't know what he was saying, but they could not fully believe what he was saying. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 2.14. Jot it down if you're a note taker. But it simply declares this. The natural mind does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. A carnal mind can't grasp the things of the Spirit. And this is why Jesus said, listen, why do you not understand my speech? Verse 43 here in John 8. Why don't you understand my speech? Because you're not able to listen to my word. You do not want to receive my truth. You do not want to believe in my words. You don't want to abide in my words. And that's exactly back in verse 30 and 31. He said to those who believed, you have to abide in my word. If you abide in my word, you're going to be free. But these people did not want to understand. They did not want to listen. And so in verse 44, Jesus makes mention. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning And he doesn't stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Now, we do understand that where Jesus says here in verse 44, he was a murderer from the beginning. Now, keep in mind that his deceiving Adam or deceiving Eve and having Adam follow suit and, and eat of the fruit... Because of that, they died. He was a murderer. He, he literally gave them that death sentence through the deceiving of Eve and through that causing Adam to eat of the fruit. And so this is who he is. He is a murderer from the beginning. He was the one who caused the death of all mankind, the separation from God. And then he says this, he doesn't stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. What he does is he seeks to deceive. In the same way there he told Eve, you shall not surely die. Remember, he lied openly. He said, if we eat or touch it, we're going to die. You're not going to die. He literally deceived. He literally lied. There's another passage that I want you to be aware of. At Genesis, he be opens up by lying. In Revelation, he ends by lying. It says in Revelation chapter 20, verse 3, and he cast him into the bottomless pit. This is the angel casting Satan into the bottomless pit, and he shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more. Do you understand? Not coerce them. Not bring them, deceive them. Anyone who follows Satan is deceived. Their eyes are blinded. They are lied to and they're believing a lie. They are believing the deception. And so understand that what Jesus is saying, he is a liar. He doesn't stand on the truth in John eight forty four. Because there is no truth in him, when he speaks a lie, when he seeks to deceive, he does it from his own resources, 
All he is is a great deceiver. He is a liar and he is the father of it. He begins in lies. He begins in deceit. And so we see now in verse 45, he says, but because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Absolutely amazing that he comes and says, listen, because I'm telling you the truth, you don't believe me. I am telling you of the spirit you are. I'm telling you the spirit I am. But because I'm telling you the truth, you cannot receive. And, and I, I find it so interesting, not that they didn't know, but they couldn't believe. This was the heart of what was going on. Remember what we, we learned about that when we talked about last week, when we were there in, in John chapter 16, part of what the Spirit does, the first thing the Spirit does, there in John chapter 16, it, the, the first conviction that he does, the conviction of the Spirit is in verse 9 of John 16, of sin because they do not believe in me. This is the first thing the enemy seeks to do. And so this is what Jesus says here, back in John eight forty five. Because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. I'm sharing you light. You want to stay in darkness. If you want to come to the light, you'll see that what I speak is the truth. But you do not want to receive. You do not want. And it wasn't that they couldn't believe. It was that they did not believe. He's still giving them an opportunity. You can still turn. You can still come to me. If you come to me, you can have life. And then he says in verse 46, which of you convicts me of sin? Now, this is an amazing thing. I don't know of anyone alive today who could make this statement. I couldn't stand up here and say, any one of you, can you point out a sin that I've ever done? <laughs> and then you say, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, I, 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 I've been here long enough. I can point out sins that you've done. I can point out wrongs that you've done. And the more you get to know me, the more you realize I could never say this. And so think about this. Do you know of anyone who could say, and this is an amazing statement, which of you convicts me of sin? Who can say, can anyone ever tell me a sin that I've ever done? <laughs> That's incredible. I'll tell you what. I was already being reminded by my parents of the sins that I had done as a child over and over again. I was reminded of the sins that I have done as a child and then as a teenager. And then when our family would get together for Thanksgiving. My brothers would always go to this historical point of reminding me of all the sins that I did when I was a youth there. It wasn't enough that I was forgiven, but I'm going to tell you all the things. Remember when you did this. You know, and it was amazing because God had wiped a lot of those things from my mind, and I honestly didn't remember. You remember when you did this? Like, no, God forgave me of that. I don't ever remember, but thank you for bringing it up. I'm sure I did. And much worse. But I love the heart that only Jesus could make this statement, which of you convicts me of sin? He said, can you tell one sin that I've ever done? And, and amazingly, not one person speaks up. 
Do you understand what that says of Jesus Christ and, and who, what they're seeing in him right now? There's not one person there. You did this. And he said, which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He said, can you say that I've lied once? And now he goes on in verse 47. says, he who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you're not of God. If you're truly of God, you're going to hear my words. If you're of the nature of God, you're going to hear it. If you are of the Spirit, the Spirit is going to give you life. If you're carnal, you can't receive the things of the Spirit. And so it's absolutely amazing that when Jesus said, anyone, can you tell me of sin that I've done? And I think it's so important. He says, you do not hear because you're not of God. You, you can't receive these things. You can't receive it as truth because your heart doesn't belong to God. And then the Jews, verse 48, answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Again, character assassination. What they're saying is, didn't we say rightly that you are a Samaritan? What they're declaring is this, that Jesus is of mixed lineage. They're saying that Mary, while she was engaged to Joseph, had an affair with a Gentile. <laughs> You're a Samaritan. You're here in Galilee. You're a, a hick. You're not anyone that anyone should ever listen to. And so they're seeking to do a character assassination on him. Did we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan? That you are not a pure Jew? That you are this half-breed? That you have a demon? And so again, they're trying to assassinate his character. Now Jesus very boldly, very clearly in verse 49 says, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father. And you dishonor me. Do you understand? He says, I'm doing exactly what my father is calling me to do. And now you're looking at the work the Holy Spirit is trying to do in your heart. And you're declaring that it's of Satan. You're declaring that it's of the enemy. You're declaring that, that you're dishonoring me by saying that, that my, my, my father was a Gentile, not my father in heaven. You're saying that I have a demon. I don't have a demon. And it's absolutely amazing. He says, I just honor my father. My heart is to glorify him and him alone. Your heart is to do the works of your father. And he says, you dishonor me in verse 49. And then in 50, he says, and I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Amazingly, if you know anything about the Pharisees, it's this. They seek their own glory. The scriptures put it this way, and they even use the word agape. Now, we talk about agape as this is a love of God, but agape in its truest sense means to be completely given over to. And when Jesus speaks of the Pharisees, he says this, you agape, you love the best seats in the synagogue. You're the one that wants to come to the very front of the table. You always want to have that place of recognition. And Jesus says, I don't seek my own glory. 
<laughs> it doesn't matter what you think of me. There's only one thing that matters, and it's what the Father declares of me. And I think as a Christian, we need to own this. We need to own this. It doesn't matter what the world says of us. It only matters what God declares of us. Understand, the world is going to hate us. Jesus makes that statement. The world's going to hate you. It hated me. It's going to hate you. Don't think that you're going to be of the world because when you're in the light, the darkness is going to try to slam the light. And so it's so amazing that he simply says in verse 50, I don't seek my own glory. There's one who seeks and judges. The Father is seeking to glorify the Son, and the Father is going to judge you. Absolutely amazing that he brings him right back to the Father in heaven. And now he says in verse 51 of John 8, Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Now understand that Jesus is talking to these people who are not connected with God, thus they do not have life. And he's now trying to bring them back out of the darkness into the light. He's trying to bring them from death into life again. And so he makes this statement, and it's so important, verse 51, Most surely I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Now understand that there's a, a point that he's talking about not just believing in him, but that believing actually has some evidences to it. Do you recognize, he says, if you keep my word. Remember what he said back in verse 31. He said, if you abide in my word, you'll be my disciples indeed. And here he says, if you keep my word, you will never see death. It's about literally coming to Jesus Christ and abiding in him, holding on to him, worshiping him, staying with him. You know as well as I do that when we are abiding in Christ, there's such a peace, such a comfort that if, if the enemy, you know, deceives me or if I trip and I fall, that I, I come right back up and I confess my sin and I'm there with Christ and I know I have forgiveness and I know I have this life. And, and I recognize that there's nothing that's going to stop me from doing that because every time I've done something wrong, the Spirit convicts me, the Word convicts me, I confess my sin, I repent, I turn from it, and I go back to the Father, I go back to the Son, I go back to His Word. And when I do that, this is what I recognize, I have life. And that's why Jesus is saying in verse 51, he simply says, I, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never see death. You won't see a separation. And then the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead. Now, remember, Jesus has been talking about Abraham. He's been talking about his father, and he makes this statement. He says, you have to understand, if you keep my word, you will never see death. And they make this crazy statement, Abraham is dead, and the prophets, and you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. 
absolutely crazy. I want to take you to just one portion of scripture initially here in the Gospels, and I want to share with you a couple of other passages. But in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, I want to read from you from 22 to 31, just so that you can understand that what Jesus is doing is this. This is not a parable. This is a situation that Jesus is speaking of an actual event. Why do I declare that? Because never in the parables do Jesus ever, does Jesus ever use a name. Here, he uses a name. That means that what? There's an actual person by the name of Lazarus. And so as we look to this in Luke 16, verse 22, it says, And so it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angel to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham afar off. And Lazarus in his bosom. Abraham holding on to Lazarus. And he cried and said, Father Abraham... Have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, now understand, dead men don't talk. (laughs) Abraham said, he's speaking to this rich man who had passed and is now in a place of torment. Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. Likewise, Lazarus is evil things. But now he's comforted your torment. And besides all this, between us and you, there's this great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, and, and nor can you pass from there to us. And he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said again, now, now listen, it's not a dead man speaking, it's a live man declaring. He said, they have Moses and the prophets, let him hear him. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. It's an amazing thing that what the Lord constantly does is he speaks of that they have life. There's another passage in Mark chapter 12, verse 26, jot it down. But what happens is this, there's a dispute as far as rising from the dead and, and, you know, whether they are given into marriage or like the angels in heaven. And Jesus makes this statement in Mark 12, 26, but concerning the dead, that they rise. Have you not read in the book of Moses in the burning bush passage how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And that's exactly what happened there in Exodus chapter 3 verse 6 where God speaking to Moses after he says, take the sandals off your feet The place where you stand is holy ground. He said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He didn't say, I used to be. He said, I am presently. 
And so absolutely amazingly, when they come to this point and they're saying Abraham is dead, they haven't read the scripture. They don't know the Old Testament. God didn't say, I used to be, but then he died. No, he said, I am presently the God of Abraham. I am presently the God of Jacob. And so we begin to see here when they make that statement and they said in verse 53 of John 8, are you greater than our father Abraham who's dead? So again, we recognize that they said in verse 52, you have this demon, Abraham's dead. And the prophets, and you say, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who's dead? And the prophets who are dead? Who are you? Who do you make yourself out to be? So at this point, are you greater than the people who are dead? You're saying that you could never taste death if you believe in you. And so look at what Jesus does. He makes this statement when they said, who do you make yourself out to be? In other words, what are you declaring of yourself? Jesus, in verse 54, answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Now, very clearly, Jesus is declaring the same nature of the Father, the same nature that he declares the one that you call God. I have the same nature as him. I and my Father are one. We're, we're, we're of the same nature. And so we recognize, he said, listen, I'm not honoring myself. If I simply honored myself, you're saying, who do you make yourself out to be? It's not who I make myself out to be. It's who I am. And the Father bears witness to these things. So I'm not making myself in anything. It's simply who I am. And then he goes on to this. He said, now you have to understand, it is my Father, verse 54, who honors me of whom you say he's your God, Verse 55, he said, yet you have not known him, but I know him. You do not know the Father. I I know him. I and the Father are one. And and if if I say I do not know him, he said, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Absolutely incredible as Jesus begins to point out this truth of that Listen, I am the Father. I, I know who I am. I know who the Father has made me to be. And, and, and this is the reality. In John chapter 14, verse 7, he makes this statement. If you had known me, he says this um, to his disciples. He says this to um, He says this to Thomas. In verse 7, he says, If you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. So we see that when Thomas says, Lord, we know, you know, how do we know where you're going? How do we know the way? And he says, listen, I'm the way. And and if you've known me, you've known the father. And, and this is where I think it's so important. Verse 55 said, you have not known him. Why? If you don't know me, you don't know him. I'm the express revelation of who the Father is. If you want to know the Father, you have to know me. If you want to understand the Father, you have to understand me. I am the express image. I am 
he who was from everlasting came here. And, and if you want to understand God, you have to know it by knowing me. That's why it says in verse 55, yet you have not known him, but I know him. If I say I do not know him, I'll be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. It's so important that what we recognize is that he says, listen, I keep his word. In John's epistle, 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, let me just read it to you. It's just a, a, a powerful word that is being spoken. But he, he makes this statement, John 2, verse 3, Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. When you walk the word of God, you know God. You experience God by walking in obedience. The same thing that Jesus is saying here. I know him. I keep his word. I do the things that he speaks to me to do. I I understand this. If you want to know him, you keep what he declares. Verse 56 is, he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Now, this is a crazy statement. We do not know exactly what that day was. Most scholars lean to that place of there in, that we read already in, in Genesis 18. There are some who literally say that God had given to Abraham an understanding there in Genesis 22, verse 8, when Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself the lamb for the burnt offering. He recognized that the day would be when the God himself would come to earth and God himself would pay the price, the price that is being depicted right now through the father and the son whom he loves and the sacrifice of his son. He said God himself is going to do this. And we understand this is the day. And so we don't know exactly what day it is. We don't know if it was the, um, some say it might have been, you know, when, when Melchizedek met, met Abraham. But Hebrews says he's a type, not necessarily that he is. But if you want to say Melchizedek, I wouldn't argue with you there. Some say it's in Genesis 22. Some say it's in Genesis 18. I don't know which passage to be dogmatic in, but I do know this. I, I will be dogmatic that Abraham rejoiced to see his day. Abraham knew, knew Christ and rejoiced. He saw it and was glad. Whether he saw it prophetically there in Genesis 22, whether he saw it physically there in chapter 18, whether he saw it with Melchizedek, he saw it and was glad. He was glad. And these people aren't glad at Christ. They seek to kill him And the Jews, verse 57, said to him, You're not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Have you seen? He's been dead for a thousand years. You're not even 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? Now, notice what Jesus says, and it's so important. Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. He's using the very name of God that God gave to Moses. Before Abraham was, Jesus emphatically is saying, I am. He's taking on the very name of God. Then, verse 59, they took up stones to throw at him. 
they wanted to kill him because of the blasphemous statement that he declared himself as God, that Abraham, before Abraham was, Jesus eternally existed as God. And so it says that they simply took up stones to throw at him. Now, a couple of things that I want you to be aware of there in John chapter 10. Let me just read it to you. In John 10, 31, it's going to make this statement. And the Jews took up stones again to stone him. In verse 32 of John 10, then Jesus answered, many good works. I've shown you from my father. For which of these works do you stone me? They're, they're, they're constantly wanting to kill Jesus. They're using any excuse that they can. And so back in our text in John eight fifty nine, they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Jesus literally blinded their eyes to his presence, went right out through the midst of them, and they were clueless. They didn't know, who do we throw a stone at? Where did you go? What are you doing? So Jesus here just simply allowed the blindness of their eyes to have a, a greater blindness, and he went right through the midst of them. And so we begin to see here this absolute understanding that, that we see that Jesus says, I am life, you come to me and you will have life, abide in my word and you will have life, you will never taste death. And those who are dead in their sins want to cause he who is life and who gives life to die. Actually incredible to see this dialogue that Jesus has had. And it's all because he wants them to know, he wants us to know, the Holy Spirit wants us to know that it is not just about saying, oh, I believe in Jesus. But you have to understand that tonight the Lord has been speaking to us. It is about believing in Jesus and that belief being translated into abiding in his word, walking the truth of the word of God. May that be something that we take home and that we begin to pray through and say, God, help me come to this place of just walking, abiding in your word of abiding in your truth and abiding in who you are. And so may that be our hearts. Father, we are so grateful that you would bring us to this place tonight, that we would have a place in your word, that we could see Jesus having this incredible discussion with those who cannot win the argument, and all they could do is come to a place of character assassination. They can simply try to belittle him as a person and and lie about him as their father, the devil, would lie. But you are the truth, Jesus. You are the life, Jesus. And you are the way, Jesus. And we know we can come through you as we abide in your word. So do that work within our hearts. Knit us to you. Teach us, Lord, what it means to abide that we could have this freedom, the freedom that you declare is ours as we abide in your word. Do that work through your spirit. Do it through your word. We ask in Jesus' name and all the saints of God said, Amen.